Hello, and welcome to another episode of Grumpy Old Gay Men and Their Dogs. It is episode 36, and day 131 here in the Zen Room. My name is Patrick Finn, and I am here, as always, with the beguiling Tommy Gibbons. Hi, bitches. I'm beguiling. 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 <laughs> See, what happened was, I recently noticed in the last couple of episodes that you've been drinking. Yes. While we're doing the episode. Yes. Okay, so, yeah, it didn't start that way. No. The first 30 episodes, you did stone cold sober. Yes. What made you start having wine during the podcast? I didn't want to see you drink alone. Excellent. That's it. You finally thought, okay, after 30 weeks, it took you to get there. But all right, all right. Slowly, we will build. What's going on? I wouldn't on? What call it drinking. Me? I have one glass of wine, you know? Uh, no, that's hardly drinking. But go ahead. What, what, keep going. <laughs> but anyway, how was your weekend? I how was your week? Uh, blah, 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 blah. See you above. Oh, okay. <laughs> that good, huh? Yeah, not good, not bad. It was the weekend. It was, uh, I don't know. Did I, you get to, get to enjoy the weather at all? It's been beautiful weather lately. It's been shitty, horrible weather. Well, the weekend I was, mean, the, yes, but since then, hours. I mean, today is Wednesday, and it's been beautiful out since Monday. It, no, Monday was cold and windy. I don't recall that. Okay, but you don't leave the house but to walk your dog. <laughs> so if you get that section in between clouds, then you have a bright sunny day. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm saying. Well, I'm sorry you did not have such a wonderful week. I did weekend. not have a wonderful week. I did not have a shitty week. I had a very maintenance week. Okay. Okay. I had a good weekend anyway. Well, what'd you do? I went to the theater this weekend, you... both as any. Audience member and as a participant. Oh, shit. But they, we're going to talk more about that during We Like to Watch. They called you up on stage? Well, yes, in a manner of speaking, yes. Oh, God. Did you interrupt the performance? <laughs> <laughs> no, my not, last name is not Lupone. <laughs> I would not do that. What yes, happened? we're going to talk about Wait, that, too. I don't know what happened. I'll tell you in a minute. That we're, we're going to tell you in a minute, so we're going to get to that real soon. All right, let's but, get to the birthdays and the shit. And well, the we have part. other stuff to announce today also, because I know we've discussed this, but I don't think we've made it official yet, but we are now officially registered to march in the Long Island Gay Pride Parade. Well, is it the Long Island Gay Pride Parade? Yes, or is it, it is. the town of Farmingdale? No, Parade? it is the Long Island Gay Pride Parade. It is being held being in the held village of Farmingdale. in the village of Farmingdale this year. On Sunday, June 12th. And we are... Marching under our podcast banner. Grumpy Old Gay Man and their dogs.com. Yes, we are. We'll be there with our dogs. And with the dogs. Yeah, yep. that's right. Louie will be there. Yeah. And, and you're we'll welcome get... to join us, uh, of course. Yeah, of course. Come join. If you have a dog, bring a dog. You got 25 t-shirts. <laughs> yes. So 25 of you can come march well, with us. Well, actually 15, because 10 of them are already claimed. <laughs> 15 of you can come march with us and get a t-shirt. You don't need a t-shirt to march with us, though. No, just you, know, you just come have fun. Exactly. It's a great but be, day. You know, you'll be gay. Definitely. Definitely. Wear that rainbow wig. Glitter and be gay. Glitter and be gay. <laughs> I believe in glitter. I did that, Was it here that I was having this conversation where I was saying that I should walk around with glitter in my pocket? No, yes, it wasn't I, here. Yes, it wasn't here? I don't know you, because you look... Okay, because that sounds like something you'd said. It's <laughs> absolutely... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that I should walk around with glitter and use it uh, as responses occasionally. And then you'll need to grow a bushy mustache we can call you Rip Taylor. <laughs> you know, you could do worse than Rip Taylor yes, as a legacy. Yes, you could. Not for nothing. 
but I don't want the mustache. So okay. we're, we're gonna have to go somewhere else. Where are we? We now move on to our first segment of the day, which is Pet. heavy petting. Pet dog. Yes, it is. And today, is it? today we're gonna to talk about the Zen of dog walking. Oh, I know we've discussed dog walking in our early episodes. Yeah, no, I, I understand the distinction. But here. I'm looking at a different aspect of it because of only because of my own recent Zen-like experiences walking and watching other people walk their dogs. One of the one of the the ways to get to Zen is walking. Yes, that's the what is the circle thing that they walk around that the God it it's it's like a maze, but it's in a circle. And you're supposed to walk as slowly through it as you possibly can, and it's... Okay, I never, I'm not familiar with this. Oh, I can't. <clears throat> it's Buddhist. Okay. Okay? And and the idea is that the, you keep going around this path, and it never really ends, and it's a circle. And can you it, bring your dog? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Louis, Louis likes to pee on things. As does Abigail. So if you're going to come and march with us, wear rubber shoes. <laughs> But anyway, I, I have found you know recently that I've had moments when I'm out walking the dog and it's just absolutely still out. There's not another soul in sight. It, it's absolutely beautiful weather and I'm just, I, I feel like I have the whole day to myself walking my dog. Right. And it's such a great feeling to have when you're out walking your dog, you know? It's, you know what I've been doing too is trying to, in, in, in trying to get there, okay, I hear I hear the wind. I hear the wind in my ears because it was windy. Right. Yeah. You know, I hear the. I hear a car coming up behind me. I hear a train pulling up behind me. I hear a bird over there to my left. I hear. You know what I mean? And, and five things that you see. Yeah. And you, that sort of thing. But I, I usually get stuck up on the first one. Well, that's when, when I first go out to walk the dog, usually I have like a song in my head because usually I'm sitting here with my iPod playing. So after you know, like a certain time, I go out walk the dogs, and I, whatever song is in, last playing is usually in my head. Do you know you can take music with you on your walks now? Yeah, I know. I prefer not to, though. Okay. I don't want to have something in my ears and go off a bit. I'm not paying attention, and the car comes or something. You know? I understand. But you can go out there. It gives you time to reflect on something, or you can go out there and just clear your head of everything. And, and just things, enjoy the walk, you know. Two things is I I'm not I'm never taking that walk unless it has to do with the dog. The dog is the sole reason I'm on that walk. Exactly. Too many. Well, that's the whole thing. People walk their dogs. It looks like primarily so that they pee and poop somewhere that's not in their yard. But they forget that the walk is for the dog's benefit. It's not just for your convenience or your benefit, you know? Like, I let Abigail sniff everything that she wants to sniff. But because it's sniffing, it's great mental stimulation for the dog. Yes. I see so many people just, they want to drag their dog, you know, they're like, oh, they can sniff. All right, that's enough sniffing, let's go. And it's like, no, let them sniff. I agree with you. I don't let him sniff at everything. No, if, if there's like human food or garbage on the no, ground. No, 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 I mean, even beyond that. But there are times... He communicates with me very well through the leash. Okay. He doesn't like the collar. Okay. okay. It's called a gentle leader. Do you have a collar on him or a harness? I have... It's not a harness. Okay. It uses his head to control him instead of his chest. Gentle leader. I highly recommend it. Anyway... He doesn't like it. So he goes and he, and he... So immediately he's paying attention to what he's doing because he doesn't like the leash. He doesn't yeah. like the collar. Okay. So he's, he he tends to be focused on that. 
you may have to edit here because I have no idea how we got into this, how we started. We're talking about walking dogs. Walking the dogs and the zen of yes. walking the dog. Yes. yes. You got me that to that specific point and I don't know how. Okay. I don't know how either. Oh, shit. But should I pick up the ball from here then? Yeah, I think you should. <laughs> well, as we were saying, the walk is for the dog's benefit, not for the human. And more importantly, pay attention to your dog. I saw someone a couple of weeks ago walking their dog and they're on their phone and they're pulling the dog and there's this like little low brick wall on the corner of someone's property. She pulls the dog into the brick wall. Doesn't stop or anything and then just continues to pull him after he bounces off the wall, continues to pull him to keep walking. What kind of dog? A uh, medium-sized dog. Maybe about the same size as Abigail, who was a Cairn Terrier, of course. So, you know, like a 15, 20-pound dog, you right. know? And it's just like... Well, that's not nice to do to any no. animal. What's a, that's, whatever you do, put your phones away when you're on the walk. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think, I don't necessarily think that, okay, here's the thing. When you're walking your dog, your dog is with you. Yes. No matter what you're doing. Right. You're not always with the dog, no matter what, even when you're together at the same time. Yeah. Okay. The dog is with you. Whatever you're doing, the dog is responding. Yes. You're moving forward. Now, now I thought about this during a Zen walk on the dog. I'm like, <laughs> God, you know what? I bet the dog is like really familiar with the sound of my of my feet. Okay, because he's right next to it. Right. And we, all the time we spend walking. Okay. So changes in that probably have more to do with you communicating with your dog during a walk than actually speaking to it the whole time. Like you just physically walk with the dog. That's what it is. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and I heard somewhere that feed the dog after the walk. Dogs in the wild walk to find food. Right. Yeah. We always give her a treat when we get back from a walk. And I walk her twice a day. Yeah, she always gets a treat. I'll tell you what, that bitch, Louie, he's like a fucking roommate. Like that bitch. I'll tell you what, my fucking roommate, that bitch, <laughs> Louie. <laughs> the nightly walks, he don't meet me at the top of the stairs no more when I come home at night. Four years. A week ago, he decided, no. Up, uh, change. He changed. He don't even meet me at the top of the stairs. He ain't even waiting to see if I... Now, sometimes I don't care. Because really... If you don't need to walk. So, but last night I was like, fuck it. I'm a big fat fuck. I need to take this walk. Right. So I mm-hmm. went up. To, I, that's the thing. I need the exercise too. And that's the best thing about dog walking is it's easy exercise. Yeah. You know? Hey, to go for a walk. Yeah. I went up. I grabbed that bit. He growled at me. Ooh. I grabbed his collar, pulled him out. He growled at me, growled at me, growled at me. At any time he could have turned around. Well, and this is her. Slide. Every time her, her first afternoon walk of the day, we have to go through this whole ritual where she goes to hide. And then Stephen has to come in and prompt her to come out. And then she'll come out. And then we have to keep prompting her. And then she gets up on the couch finally. And then we can put the harness on her. And then once it's on her, then she's like, boom, let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and this is all about the zen of walking yeah, the dog. Right. right. This is the whole ritual I go through beforehand. Because he hates the collar, he resists it when I do it. So it's always a bad. It's always the, it's, okay. It's, it's like our dance. Yeah, we do this dance. Yep. Uh, whatever. But uh, yeah. And then the I, I, I believe like the, the Zen of dog dog walking. I believe in that. Any walking, really. But no, if you don't have a dog, there's really no excuse. So you tend not to. Yeah, exactly. You get lazy. But a dog gives you the excuse to go out there, and you shouldn't just do like a 10, 15 minute walk so your dog can be. Go and walk your dog. My dog knows the whole neighborhood within a whole mile radius of where she lives, you know? You walk a mile? 
I'd say, yeah, we walk about a mile to two miles a day. You're young and zesty. <laughs> I wish. What else you got in pets? Well, last year, I was going to say, the final benefit is I've gotten to meet my neighbors through walking my dog. Yeah, you don't have to bring that up because that would make people not walk their dogs. No, you see, I but I like meeting my neighbors. I like <coughs> knowing who lives in the neighborhood in case of an emergency, God forbid. What is that person going to do for you in case of an emergency? Who knows? But I'll worry about that when an emergency happens. Mind but your it's business, nice to know stay in your who house, your neighbors are. Dig a ditch. <laughs> A small. You're itty such bit, a curmudgeon. A itty bitty little you house. Don't want to meet. You don't want to meet your neighbors, huh? With a really big moat. <laughs> no, I don't want to meet my neighbors. Oh, I'm sorry no, to hear that. I don't. Maybe that's for the neighbor's best interest. Then. Okay, I, I, I'm not insulted by that. <laughs> okay. Maybe the best. Maybe you and I could be the bestest of friends ever. My cow on each. I don't. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. I, I can live with that. It's, you know what? It's been that kind of a day. Everybody has those days. You know? But we'll now move on to our next segment, which of course is your favorite. Today's birthdays. Birthdays. Yes. As you Today's know, we, we have been observing on our Facebook and Twitter feed. The Jews. Jewish American Heritage Month. Okay. What did we find out? Well, we've been celebrating each day someone Jewish American and on their birthday. Who had their birthday? I bet there's a lot of them. Well, today we have two of them. Oh. Yes. And these are all, actually, these are all big birthdays. Today. Are they dead? All, all of them are dead, actually. Yay! <laughs> the first one, I'll let you have a guess at, because I know the second one you probably won't know. But the first one, you should know. Do you know how insulting that is? Do you know, how much do you know about physics? I'm not saying you're not right. How much do you know about quantum mechanics? Okay, see, here it is. It's my mother. Here it is. How much my do you mother. know about nanotechnology? It's not what you say, it's how you say it. <laughs> It's the it's the assumption. Thomas, go to your room right now. No. <laughs> uh, it's the assumption that I wouldn't know that's offensive. Oh, I'm sorry for making that assumption. Man. Yes. All right, but we'll get to that one later. Let's do this one. Oh, I first. can't wait. I'm sure you can't. He was born May 11th, 1888, in what was then Imperial Russia. Oh. He emigrated to the United States at age five, living in Manhattan. He left home at age 14 and lived in the Bowery, singing in saloons to earn money. At 18, he got a job as a singing waiter. In his free time, he taught himself to play piano and soon began writing songs. He published his first song in 1907, titled Marie from Sunny Italy. His first world-famous hit was 1911's Alexander's Ragtime Band. Come on along, come on along. Let me take you to by the hand. Come on along. Come on along. To Alexander's Ragtime Bank. I know. Uh, I don't know the, I don't know who wrote it though. Oh, I'll tell you some more about him. In, 19, I can't wait. in 1914, he wrote his first musical review, Watch Your Step. In 1918, he wrote a musical review called Yip Yip Yapank. That takes place at what was then Camp Upton in Yapank here on Long Island. I've heard of that too. A song cut from that show for being too sticky was God Bless America. Did you say sticky? Yes. The composer called it too sticky. The person St where, whose birthday we're talking about. Sticky. He said it was too sticky. And it's Irving Berlin. Yes, it is Irving Berlin. Very good. Sticky. Yeah, huh? he said it was too sticky. So he took he cut it from the show. It was it does it indicate like what was it a ballad? Was it It was well, because the show took place on a military base. 
So it was probably a patriotic number, but he probably thought it was just too gooey of a number for a military base review. You know? I understand. No, I understand. You have to go. I, it was the it was the soap dropping scene. <laughs> yes. So you know, it was hard to play that for audiences in 1942. So go ahead, Irving Berlin. In 1921, he entered into a partnership that built the Music Box Theater on West 45th Street. Still there? Yes, it is. That's where he showcases musical reviews. He also wrote scores for the Ziegfeld Follies. He then went on to write scores for a number of musicals, including 1932's Face to Music, 1940's Louisiana Purchase, 1942's This is the Army, 1944's Annie Get Your Gun. Stop. Yes. We gotta touch on Annie, get your gun. Of but course. I, every one of these fucking things is yes. an American thing. Yep. Where was he born? He was born in, in what was then Imperial Russia and came here when he was age five. He came here and started writing songs about America. Yep. Writing shows about America, about the countryside, yep. about the things, about that. And then. Well, even during World War II, he wrote patriotic numbers because of the war and stuff. He wrote several numbers right. of patriotism. Right. Uh, patriotism. Yeah. He wasn't born here. Right. And he wrote all of these songs about the patriotism. Yep, that he was he an immigrant. Firmly believed. An he was, immigrant. He was an immigrant. <laughs> and he was Jewish. Yep. Scary sound, scary sound, scary sound. All right, so, Annie Get Your Gun deserves a minute. Yes. Okay. Great musical. I got a couple of things. Number one, this is my very first state uh, musical experience. Okay. There was something in church about something, okay? Okay. And there was a Gilbert and Sullivan at Hampton Street Elementary School that I participated in. And then as a freshman in high school, I was either have detention or join the chorus of, of you know, do this extra curriculum. So I was like, all right, I, and any get you gone. All right, so it began whatever it began. Okay. Okay. Uh, still waiting for that bright flash in the pan moment, but whatever. It was what it was. It started where it started. Um, the road you didn't take. I sing too much on these. I do. I noticed that. You never sing too much, Tom. I noticed that. I sang. I didn't even listen to the whole I mean, Mel Torme was the Velvet Fog. You're the Velvet Frog. My friends gave out Indian names to each other <laughs> once. You know, they used to go camping. Yes. Uh, they, they go camping every summer. They go skiing every winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been on a couple of camping trips. I was on a, on a skiing trip. But uh, one night they're sitting around uh, the the camping weekend fire pit talking to each other. And it's fun. It's always fun. And they gave each other Indian names. And I wasn't there. But they gave me Dances with Men. <laughs> There are other great ones, like just as as like fog rolling in, or oh my god, fucks like thunder, <laughs> and then there was fucks, fucks like thunder. Oh my god! Yeah, so you know, uh, I don't know how we got here. But I don't know. Well, let's get back to Herbie Berlin. It was a story worth telling, so don't cut it. Oh, I'm not going Just to. because it had nothing to do with Irving Berlin. <laughs> Annie Get Your Gun, maybe, because Annie Get Your Gun. Okay, well, the second thing about Annie Get Your Gun. So now, Annie Get Your Gun is what Annie Get Your Gun is. Yes. Okay, so, and I love it. 
Yes. All right. And I don't always love that sort of down-home country... It's a fun musical, you it, know? It's a fun it's, American musical. Uh, Although I'm not crazy... I wasn't crazy about the new orchestrations for the recent revival. This is where I'm going, because... Uh, and, and this could lead into something extended, because this Annie Get Your Gun... Annie Get Your Gun was... Started as this dirt poor girl, and she became this thing, and and it was a, a, a note to show business. Every bit is it. Okay, yep, so exactly. as to America, uh, America is this Annie figure. So now what they do is in okay in that original version, somewhere scene three, scene four, somewhere down the line, in the middle of Act One, all of a sudden they're singing the costumes, the makeup, the jewelry, the props. Da da da. So she says show business. What show business is yeah. Which, first of all, the most brilliant line, the most brilliant intro cue for a song is show business. What show business? And they deliver, there's no business like show business. And it comes naturally and organically out yeah. of that moment and off they go. In the new arrangement, mm-hmm. the assumption is we are now at Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. And this is the segment where they tell the Annie Get Your Gun story. Yes. So there's no business like show business becomes the opening yeah, of the show. That's because they probably cut the opening number because of all the references to Indians. Because I play the role of Charlie, who's like um, the sidekick to what's his name in the show. Is there not a way to portray those people? Like, so. Oh, and the opening number is all, you know, it's all about come see the show and it's got Indians and. Well, that's yeah. the new one. Is the, they, they no, that's out. the original. That's the original opening number. The new one now, the, when they revived it, there's no business like show business became the opening number. I don't like that. They ruined it. They ruined the song and they ruined the show. They ruined the the, the story. Yeah. The story. They ruined the storytelling because now you don't believe it. Now you know, you know first thing, this is show business. This yeah. is all glossy. And what you're seeing don't matter. Because yeah. it's show business. Yeah. Whereas Annie Get Your Gun used to be a story about this piss poor girl who tried to support herself right. by shooting birds. And she shot so good as a woman, holy shit, that she became familiar to the people with power around her. Yeah. And made something of herself and moved up and became rich and blah, blah, blah. Which is different from, this is the bullshit story we're going to tell you. Right? I know. I know. You're telling me right out it's yeah, bullshit. Yeah. I heard, when I heard the new one, I was like, Ooh. Yeah, I don't like it. Don't let me like it at all. And being what any Get Your Gun is to me, being the first ever show I ever did, except for that thing in Hampton Street Elementary School. Right. Yeah, I was going to say Candor and Abbey. It wasn't Candor and Abbey. It was the Operetta people. I don't know. Yeah, you do. Gilbert and Sullivan? Yes. Okay. <laughs> You're so willing to throw me over the ledge by just saying, I don't know. I don't know. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Think, for, think with me for a second. No, 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 let's move on. <laughs> Jesus, and you're the one who calls it a Zen room, and you're like a little fucking gremlin running around giggling. You make me laugh, you're I a funny you guy. Laugh. What's next? Well, we're still on Irving Berlin. Oh, Jesus, he, he must be tired. Well, Maybe he, I should get up. <laughs> he also wrote the musicals 1949's Miss Liberty and 1950's Call Me Madam. I believe they both starred Ethel Merman, didn't they? I know Call Me Madam did. Yeah, I don't know about Miss Liberty. He also wrote the film scores for 1935's Top Hat, 1936's Follow the Fleet, 1938's Alexander's Ragtime Band, 
1942's Holiday Inn, which of course featured White Christmas, and 1948's Easter Parade. He won the 1943 Best Song Oscar for White Christmas, and also the 1951 Best Score Tony Award for Call Me Madam, as well as a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1968, and an induction in 1970 into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. He also received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1977, and in 1988 was inducted into the Jewish American Hall of fame. Jerome Kern famously said about him, Irving Berlin has no place in American music. He is American music. It's so true. Right. Every one of those titles is an American almost propaganda piece. Yeah. I mean, he was a, he was a true blue patriotic American songwriter. You know, you didn't get much more patriotic than that. Do you know anything about his politics? No, not really, no. That I didn't bother looking to. I was so enamored of his music history, you know? Yeah. It seemed sort of laser-focused there, no? He just had such an incredible career. I mean, he started out as a singing waiter in a freaking saloon. Ended up, ended up as one of the most celebrated songwriters yeah, yeah, in American history. Yeah, but the, this town is lousy with those stories. <laughs> I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm talking about that he wrote so laser-focused on one genre, on that Americana. Yes, yes. Exclusively. Well, he wrote songs like Blue Skies, Putting on the Ritz. Putting on the Ritz. Cheek to Cheek. I love that song. About Putting on the Ritz or Cheek to Cheek? Both. (laughs) Okay. Putting on the Ritz is great. Put on the Ritz is great. I love dancing. To, I love cheek to cheek. Have you, ever, have you ever song. seen? Have you ever seen the movie Idiot's Delight with Clark Gable singing "Putting on the Ritz"? No. Oh, it's great. Oh yeah, you got to look for that. I'll what? post it on the. I'll post it on the blog. Do that, and you, now of course you have to do the uh, Frankenstein "Putting on the Ritz." Oh, of course, now I have to now. But anyway, Berlin died in his sleep at the age of one hundred and one. Jesus. That was in the year 1989. That sounds like a nice soft landing. Right. You know? And he's buried in Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. And that sounds calm and relaxing. Right? So happy birthday, Irving Berlin. A nice, successful life. We now move on to the birthday that I know that you know nothing about. All right. Okay. Unless maybe you watch Big Bang Theory, you might have heard the name. Okay. I have... I am familiar that the Big Bang Theory exists. You've never watched the TV show? I have watched episodes of it. Okay. I think portions of it are very funny. Yes. I think there's not a single element of it that is not completely derivative. And so the entire thing is just the next step in this format of television comedy. Okay. Which is not to deny the writing or the performances anything. But everything that you did, every joke they did, we saw before. Okay. Go ahead. Anyway, th- this person was born in Queens, the son of a sales manager from Belarus. He did not speak until age three. He was heavily influenced by his father, who encouraged him to ask questions to challenge orthodox speaking. When he was 15 years old, he taught himself trigonometry, advanced algebra, infinite series, analytic geometry, and both differential and integral calculus. He was rejected by Columbia University because they had already filled their quota of Jewish students. So he attended the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, where he majored in electrical engineering. He then went on to study physics at Princeton University. 
During World War II, he worked on the Manhattan Project and began teaching at Cornell University and later at the California Institute of Technology. Okay, so clearly, this is one of the best and brightest. Yes, it is. He's probably one of the greatest physicists of our time. Born American? Uh, yep, born in 1918, son of an immigrant. Where at? He was born in Queens. All right, good. All right, all right so where I interrupted you. Okay. Ready? Yep. Go. He was a member of the Rogers Commission, which investigated the 1986 Challenger disaster. Oh. And it was he who demonstrated that the material used in the shuttle's O-rings became less resilient in cold weather. The commission then determined that the disaster was caused by the primary O-ring not properly sealing in unusually cold weather at Cape Canaveral. Huh. He died of kidney failure at the age of 69. He is famous for his work in theoretical physics and developing the theory of quantum electrodynamics and his work in particle physics. He has been credited with pioneering the field of quantum computing and introducing the concept of nanotechnology. For his contribution to the development of quantum electrodynamics, he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1965. His name? Richard Feynman. Richard Feynman. Yep. Happy birthday, boo. Right? That's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah, that's the... the, the uh, Just the fact that he told himself all that math at age 15, yeah, I was no. like, holy shit. I'll tell you what, I fulfilled my my math requirements to graduate high school at algebra. I did algebra, and then I was supposed to go on to, what was it, calculus? And I like, failed up the first quarter, and they put me like in advanced geometry. <laughs> I think geometry. And that fulfilled that was my final math requirement. Mine, mine was absolutely algebra. I stopped the minute I could. I just, and you know what fucked me up? It was a calculus or trigonometry. I think one I, of them. No, I, I think geometry I was, was next. I mean, I was never a good math student, and this time you're like putting me in like forget about. It. I was it was beyond right because you guys were still carving on the stones. <laughs> I'm gonna carve your stones. You're using the V88, V112, V I I I. Yeah, V I I I. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. You don't know. I don't know where I am. I got lost again. That's okay. I'm gonna move on to the next birthday. No, I want to go back. Nope, nope. We're gonna move on. Gotta keep no, moving. Gotta keep no. moving forward. Uh... <laughs> She was born May 11th, 1894, in Pennsylvania, the daughter of an alienist. Okay, so you have to describe what an alienist is. A precursor to a psychiatrist. Okay, there was a TV show on... Called The Alienist. Called The Alienist. And it was a man who was using psychological profiling to find a criminal. To help solve crimes. Right. Okay, so is it the same thing? Yes, that's the same thing. Okay. Maybe not as glamorous as portrayed in the TV show, but... So it's, it's, let's say it's the original word for what we now call... Psychiatrist. Go ahead. Okay. She and her family moved to California in 1908. In 1911, she saw her first dance performance at a ballet in Los Angeles. She then studied dance in L.A. until 1923. In 1926, she established her own dance company in a small studio on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. She wanted to make dance an art form that was more grounded in the rawness of the human experience as opposed to just being mere entertainment. Martha Graham. Martha Graham is correct. Very good. I feel you get that one right away. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's just awesome. That's just taking 400, 500 years of history and saying, you know what else we can do? Yeah, that's what she did. And that's what she did. She danced and toured for over 70 years. She pioneered a technique known as contraction and release. And there's not a dancer who has done it since, who has not giggled and laughed and mocked it as they do it. Why is that? I says, I'm not a dancer and you are. Because I think it's, I think it's always generally based on the way the teacher says, contract. Really, <laughs> and it's almost invariable, and it always sounds ridiculous, and okay. and, and we laugh at it. But it's, it's important, and it's it's incredible if you think about it, because nobody ever thought about saying, "Hey, you know what? What if we exhale?" <laughs> Instead of just holding this this whole time, instead of just being up, 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 up. Oh my! What God. if we just said, "Hold on a second. <sighs> and that was Martha. <laughs> Well, in 1936, she famously turned down a request to participate in the dance competition at the Berlin Olympics. She didn't like competitions, they she were... didn't like Nazis. Well, that, yeah, exactly. And the dance competition, oh, that was back in, back in the Olympics back then, they had what they call an arts section. Right, right, right. So they had Olympics in architecture, music, literature... And then dance. And then like in, like every high school in America can tell you, when they made cuts to the Olympics, the first thing they cut was the arts. Go ahead. But she turned it down even after the minister of propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, assured her that her Jewish dancers would be safe. She yeah. didn't care. No, yeah. In fact, she was inspired to then create a dance work in 1938 called American Document, which marked the modern concept of performance art by combining dance, theater, and literature. And that same year, she became the first dancer invited to perform at the White House before FDR. No dancer had performed in the White House before? Martha Graham? Nope. Really? Yeah, she was the first. Okay. That sounds odd to me. It seems like there should have been somebody from up there in New York come down and dance, or no? Nope. Nope, not at all. The White House had been, like, finished for a while, right? Oh, quite a while. Uh, don't do it like that. Don't do. You don't have to do it like that. Do it like what? Like, oh yeah, you idiot. Or like, oh yeah, it's been a while. Go ahead. Through her career, she worked with composers like Aaron Copland, Samuel yep. Barber, and Giancarlo Minotti. Her she, her choreographies spanned 181 compositions. She retired from dancing at the age of either 74 or 76, depending on which year. She may have retired. It was either 68, 69, or 70. But she continued choreographing. But she then fell into a depression and alcohol abuse because she was not happy not dancing anymore. And her alcohol abuse got so bad, she ended up in a coma and hospitalized for a while. But she recovered, and by 1972, she quit drinking. She revived her company, and she choreographed 10 new ballets. Ain't that some shit? Right? Her last one was in 1990. We talk about dancers, people who do this. It's dancers. We've talked about a number of dancers who have done this. Yeah. A couple times. Yeah. I don't remember who the fuck they were, but but it's familiar. She died from pneumonia at the age of 96. Could you imagine? That's another life. Although, where, where, what's his name? Irving Berlin was a nice, really sort of rise and cushy sort of, like he, and she broke some kind of ground. Yep. And people didn't like it. Oh, yeah. And it became so much part of us that it is, it's like what what would appear on 
Saturday Night Live. Okay. You know, it was like so common. It's such a joke. We can make so many jokes out of this about the Martha Graham thing. We can, it's, some of it is, yeah, it's so part of us now, Martha Graham. Yes, she is. Happy birthday, Martha Graham. Happy birthday, Martha. Have a cupcake. We went up to our last birthday celebrant. Who's this bitch? He was born May 11th, 1904 in the Catalonia region of Spain. I love that. His older brother died nine months earlier at the age of two. His image would later appear in this person's art. His father was an attorney, a rabid atheist, and a strict disciplinarian. Uh-oh. His mother encouraged his artistic endeavors. He studied art in Madrid and was initially influenced by Impressionism and the Renaissance painters. During the 1920s, he began exploring Cubism and other avant-garde art movements. Is this your Salvador Dali? Yes, it is my Salvador Dali, my favorite artist. Okay. By 1929, he was a full member of the Surrealist group of artists. His most famous painting from this period is The Persistence of Memory from 1931. That's the one with the melting clocks yeah, yeah, and the yeah, ants okay. on the watch. Other famous surreal works that he did include his lobster telephone. <laughs> it's basically a telephone with a lobster as a receiver. A rainy taxi, which is a taxi cab with two mannequins in it. The ma- There's a male mannequin in the front with a shark's head. And there's a woman's mannequin in the back seat. And it's raining inside the taxi. Ah, uh, so she's doomed. <laughs> And lastly, his Mae West Lips Sofa. I've actually seen that during, uh, there was an exhibit in Philadelphia. Well, make sure you post your, what you call your links to it. Oh, I'm going to post all, yeah, the pictures of all these items. He lived in France during the Spanish Civil War and moved to the U.S. in 1940, where he achieved commercial success. He moved moved back to Spain in 1948, where he expressed support for the Franco regime, re-embraces Catholic faith, and then began painting in his nuclear mysticism style. Oh. His eccentric, ostentatious behavior sometimes drew more attention than his artwork, and his long cape and walking stick and his upturned wax mustache became his icons of his brand. I totally want the cape and the stick. But not the mustache. I do not (laughs) want any part of the mustache. Was it this episode we were discussing mustaches? Are you no? What do you mean? We mentioned it earlier about a mustache. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. Maybe it's a theme. Maybe that's <laughs> into the mustache episode. Dali's artistic repertoire included painting, graphic arts, film, sculpture, design, and photography. His major themes in his work included dreams, the subconscious. Sexuality, religion, science, and his close personal relationships. He collaborated with surrealist director Louis Buñuel on several films, but his work was most famously seen in the 1945 Alfred Hitchcock film Spellbound, starring Gregory Peck and Ingrid Bergman. Did you ever see that? I, I must have. Oh, it's great. He he basically did all the dream sequences. Okay. During the movie. He uh, he did all the, the design for that. He also collaborated with Disney Studios on a 1945 short animated film called Destino, but it remained unfinished until 1999 and premiered in 2003 when it was nominated for uh, Oscar for Best Animated Short Film. I'm going to post a link for that also. Who finished it? Disney Studios finished it. I figured who they, I, the whole story about it on, online Oh. Uh, how they finished well, it. Well, they, they were paying for it anyway, right? Yeah, I would assume so, oh. you know? His final painting was 1983's The Swallow's Tale. He died in 1989 at the age of 84 from cardiac arrest. Oh, poor thing. 
His works can be seen at his hometown in Figueres in Catalonia, Spain, the home of the Dali Theater Museum, which he designed. Okay. And also there's the Salvador Dali Museum in St. Petersburg, Florida, which I, I think is pretty cool. Florida. Well, we're going to get to that later on. But his uh, most famous painting, as I mentioned before, The Persistence of Memory, can actually be seen at the Museum of Modern Art, MoMA, right here in Manhattan. Hmm. I never knew that until... I went to go see the Dali exhibit down in the Philadelphia Museum of Art about 10 or so years ago, hoping that I was going to see that painting there, and it wasn't there. And then sometime after that, I went to MoMA, and I was like, son of a bitch, that painting was here the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I bet that was embarrassing. Yes, it was, artistically speaking. You could have Googled that shit. I could have, but meh. All right, happy birthday, Sal. Happy birthday, Salvador Dali. We now move on to Today in History. Okay. <clears throat> what happened? Today, you have to guess, this state was admitted into the Union on May 11th, 1858, as the 32nd state of the Union. It is the 12th largest state. The name of the state comes from the Dakota language, meaning cloudy water. It was originally part of the Louisiana Purchase of 1803. In 1860, the population was 172,000. Today it is the population of 5.5 million and is also the home of 11 Native American reservations. Famous people from this state include F. Scott Fitzgerald, the Andrews Sisters, the Cone Brothers, Terry Gilliam, Judy Garland, Bob Dylan, Jessica Lange, Laura Osnes, Prince, and Charles Schultz. It has been featured in the films Fargo, Grumpy Old Men. What am I supposed to give you? Purple Rain. Yes. Minnesota. <clears throat> Minnesota is correct. Wow, what? you're doing really good tonight. Yeah, well, you had to get to Prince because the rest of it didn't matter. But okay. <laughs> Minnesota. Minnesota. Happy birthday, Minnesota. Yes. The state beverage is milk. Ew. Right? <laughs> And the state bird, since I know you love birds so much. Oh my God. The state bird is the common loon. <laughs> First of all, I heard you call me a common loon. <laughs> Second of all, I realized. Yes. Those motherfuckers poop on you from above. <laughs> they can do that. Suddenly, you get splashed with bird shit. Okay, I wanted to add that to the swooping. Because if you think of it as just the swooping... I could be considered insane. But it's also the shitting on me from overhead <laughs> that I object to. How often have you been pooped upon by an avian creature? I think I I think I would say well under ten. <laughs> under ten. Would it be under five? No. Really? No. You mean five and ten times in your lifetime. Yes. That's a lot. Yes. <laughs> That's a lot. I'd count twice, maybe. Twice. You are a smaller target. <laughs> Fucking elf. So, uh, not elf. What are they called? Leprechaun. 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 So, yeah. Uh, I just want to add that to the swooping. Thank you. Thank, no, no, thank you, because I, I, it's needed to be updated. We're now going to move on to our next segment, which is, what day is it? And today is... Twilight Zone Day. <laughs> Were you a fan of the Twilight Zone, Tommy? Some of them, yes. Okay. I'm going to need to vet these. <laughs> these days for I what they Yeah, I want to know ahead of time. Why? If you're going to throw something like this up, like, I need to throw What's wrong with Twilight Zone Day? So, am I just to assume 
that every television show is there an All in the Family Day? I, I don't know. I would celebrate All in the Family Day. I don't know. Day. All I know is that today is Twilight Zone Day. Twilight Zone was always a little too weird for me. <laughs> really? Yeah. But it was not like I remember being on it. I was like weird to begin with. Okay. Like it was a weird time of life. Yeah. And it was. It, it had to have been reruns. Oh, of course. Yeah, it ran from 1959 to 64. Yeah, and I wasn't allowed to watch television until 66. Okay. So, I would have missed it. But, yes, yeah, so you probably saw it in reruns. So. Reruns, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it never, it, it didn't attract me really? as much as... Oh, I thought it was um, great. Ingenious storytelling. Good. You're watching up-and-coming actors from that period. I wanted to see uh, Thirst Traps. What? Thirst Traps. What are Thirst Traps? Really? I'm not going to tell you. You're not going to tell yeah, me? Because you, yeah, and this is great because you there's been a couple of times where I've asked you questions and you said, I'm a, look at that, look at that. <laughs> Mr. fucking professor up there tapping, no, Thirst Trap. trap. Okay, so what- Let's how, look this up on the Wayback Machine. How did we get here to Thirst Trap? I don't know what the topic I, is anymore. We were talking about Twilight Zone Day. A Thirst Trap is a type of social media post intended to entice viewers, viewers sexually. It, reviews to, it refers to a viewer's thirst. A colloquialism likening sexual frustration to dehydration, implying desperation. Right, there, there was only one way. So to that's make, a thirst trap. There was only one way to make that description sound worse, and it was going to be in the reading. <laughs> and you did it. I'm just not sure how its applicability to this discussion of Twilight Zone. What I was interested yes. in television at the time. Yes. What my choices seemed to be on okay. the five channels that I had. Okay. Was this, the Twilight Zone. Right. Okay. And uh, I saw that too. Okay. And and by uh, association, all of the all of those sci-fi things, right. all, okay, they all went right past me. And I was interested in thirst traps. So show me. Okay. And so you were watching. Here comes the bride. Here, here come the brides. <laughs> Did you uh, have a thing for Bobby Sherman? <laughs> Actually, who didn't? <laughs> yeah, guilty as charged. This is going to be bad, so let's move on. We'll move on to our next segment, which is Turn Your Head and Cough. <coughs> Don't choke on your cake there. As if. Anyway, we're going to talk about Patty LuPone. Oh, my God. I love that. Right? It's seen that following a performance of uh, Company, which is currently running on Broadway in its new incarnation, there was a question and answer session afterwards. Uh-oh. And I guess someone there in the front row was not wearing their mask properly. Oh, God. So Miss Lapone oh, stopped God. and said, put your mask over your nose. That's why you're in the theater. That is the rule. If you don't want to follow the rule, get the fuck out. All right. And aside from judging her etiquette and manners, All right. well, I do not disagree with her sentiment one bit. Uh, especially because I am one. Like I said, I am high risk. I am still wearing a mask out in public places. Let me tell you what. And for these, and for these performers to be able to perform every day as they are performing, everyone else has got to follow the rules, you know? Somehow, this show, the health of the people involved in the show, um, and rightfully so, the people who replace, like Patti LuPone's replacements and understudies, mm -hmm. 
have been very well received and reviewed. Yeah. So it's a it's a workplace that has zigged and zagged around COVID. Okay, so she's expecting people that are involved in that and that, and that surround that to be as stringent as they have tried to be inside. Okay, yep. so here's this guy. So. If Patty Lapone is nothing but this bitch Karen, if she's like musical theater Karen, why aren't you? I want to talk to who you like. Um, then why would they keep hiring her? Because <laughs> she sells tickets and she's yeah. fucking amazing. Exactly, exactly. You know, and she, everybody knows who Patty Lapone is. Listen, he got away with both testicles. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Was anybody injured in any way? No. She said something obvious and maybe not as diplomatically as she could have of been. Of course, someone videotaped it, so you can find it online. Thank God. It's Patty LePone. I'm posting on the blog. She's a bitch. She's going to come at you. No matter who you are, it don't matter who yeah. you are. If she don't care, you paid $400 to sit at the foul feet. Right? She's going to come at you if you need coming at. Yes, she will. Or is it at coming? <laughs> coming she at. will come for you if you need coming at. Yeah, coming at. She will come for you if you need at coming. Perfect. Coming at. Okay. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, Patty. Don't fuck with Patty. Just don't fuck with Patty. Just wear your mask in the theater. Behave you know? yourself. Behave yourself. Behave yourself. Yeah. Put your hands in your pockets. And wear it properly. Wear it over your nose. Or Yeah. You will be called out. It ain't a big deal, you know? Christ. Anyway, we now take a look into my briefs. Oh. <laughs> what, were you looking for a sound effect or something? Yes. I keep, I, I'm sorry. I may have found one myself, actually, for that. But I, haven't, right. I, haven't, I haven't downloaded it yet or anything, so okay. I'm still working on that. Can I hear it? No, I haven't downloaded it yet, so I can't, you can't, I can't play it for you yet. Don't worry, you'll, you'll hear it soon enough. But anyway, last week we spent a voluminous amount of time talking about the draft opinion by Justice Alito that's going to be overturning Roe v. Wade. When you say voluminous, I think like Rita Hayworth's skirt while she's dancing with Fred Astaire. <laughs> That's voluminous. Oh, but our conversation was not voluminous? Well, I, I suppose in a very ass-clenched academic <laughs> way, it was. Because mm-hmm. it was fuck time. Mm-hmm. So there, were, there would be much volume. Yes. If you will. I, I, I see hair more voluminous than our conversations. Yes. It's interesting to me. You know, etymology and shit. Okay. Is that bugs? Is what? Etymology. What about it? Bugs. No, it's what the etymology means, the origins of something. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, but we were discussing that draft opinion last week. This week, we're going to be talking about what's going to be happening next after Roe v. Wade is overturned. Let's face it, folks, it's going to be overturned. We don't know what the extent is yet, but I still have my gut feeling that the decision as written is not going to change all that much let me in what ju- it says. Let me, let me just, for fun. Okay. What if this episode mm-hmm. has had the effect that it wanted to have and changes somebody's opinion? Can we, can enough pressure be put on one of these Trump putzes? No. They have a lifetime appointment. They're not up for election. There's no pressure to be applied. They can be impeached. They can be impeached, yes, but you can't just impeach them over a decision that you disagree with. Can you impeach them for lying to the... Congress? Technically, yes, you could charge them with perjury, but do you really think that's going to happen? I don't. No, they don't want to spend the time trying to impeach a Supreme Court justice. I think there are times when you have to do something just so the 
So history shows that you did it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But they're not going to. They're not going to. Anyway, now it's that... It's a big picture thing, Patrick. I know. Well, talking about the big picture now, we had discussed about now that they've got their victory on abortion, that more than likely they're going to start going after other rights. Of course. And sure enough, that's exactly what's happening. Because now Republicans, especially those who are running for office, are becoming increasingly vocal about the case of Griswold versus Connecticut. Yeah. Which established a right for married couples to have contraception. A later example called, a later case called Baird, I believe, B-A-I-R-D, that extended that right to unmarried people to have contraception. But now it seems that there are an increasing number of candidates who are now offering the idea of person legislation, which would basically define a human life as beginning at conception. Is it an American? Hmm? Is it an American? What do you mean? Is the it? baby. Well, it depends where they conceive it, I guess. That would be a question. mother is American. Okay. If the baby first, if the seed first touches the egg on American soil. Yes. Is that person American? Well, Even if the mother is from Tijuana and the father is from Nigeria. Good question. Well, I guess we'll never know or we may know soon enough. Or <laughs> when that pile of seeds, pile of cells, mm-hmm. has expanded enough to emerge through all of that. Yes. Okay. What What then? Who is this person then? Is that is that an American still? I don't know. Don't Mother, know. father, both undocumented. Don't know. I can't, Patrick. I can't. Where is it easy? Well, it's getting worse in lots of places. And one of them right now is Louisiana. Because right now, they have a bill down there to make abortion a homicide and charge women with murder who undergo the procedure. It will also criminalize certain forms of contraception like Plan B and IUDs because it would change the state's legal definition of a person to a fertilized egg. So, so I have the solution. What's the solution? You have to pressure industry. Industry has to be more more influential here because the American people don't don't fucking matter. Okay, so what they say seventy percent against abortion last night. Okay, so the American people don't matter. Who matters? Okay, the guys writing the laws. Yep. And the guys they writing the laws for who are the corporations? Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to find the corporation who's going to say, "I'm not giving you money if you're gonna, if that's your stance." Yeah. Well, that's gonna be another issue coming up now, as we've seen with Disney is. What role are corporations are going to be playing in this whole political dialogue? You know, they've been given rights, which means they have rights. So now, if that bites you in the ass a couple of times from some of your bigger companies, your Disney's, your Amazon's, although Jeff Bezos don't give a fuck, whatever. You know, um, those companies don't always agree with the with the uh, this biblical sort of exactly. You know, no, as we've heard time and time again on the news, at least sixty to seventy percent of the people want Roe v. Wade to to be the law of the land. And Casey, they want abortion to be a legal option for people. And most of the arguments against this are based on what? What do you mean? Religion? Well, on a certain morality. Yes. Right. Okay, it's it's it is uh, pro birth. It's compulsory birth. The the yes, it's and, compulsory birth. We're talking about the the collection of cells has more rights at that moment than it will five years down the road from where it is right now. Okay, so that let's understand that too. But that 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 collection of cells must be produced as a full human. Mm-hmm. 
um, regardless of anything, okay? So is it going to be America presented by Apple? Like, is Apple going to come in and say, no, 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 this is, this is wrong. We can, oh, and as each corporation, are they going to be the saviors of the Well, people? one corporation, I, I forget who it was now, said that they're going to pay for anyone who has to have an abortion out of state. They're going to pay for their travel. This is what I'm saying is, especially the newer corporations, mm-hmm. newer rich corporations. I don't know. Could it be, could it be that sort of, somebody said an expression on one of my, uh, on a Facebook post and he said, it's like playing 4D chess. Okay. And it's like the corporation is the monster and the monster and the monster. Yeah. And what if the corporation swoops in and buys it out and restores everything exactly the way everybody wants it and it becomes the liberal paradise uh, and Eden and sponsored by Amazon? Yeah, but that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. You know, the sad part is it could happen. Yeah, I don't know if I want it to happen. Anyway, I guess we'll move on to our next segment. I seem done with this one. Oh yeah. yeah, we're done with that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Made it made a short a short brief tonight. A brief. <laughs> we now move on to the week in fascism, and which we might as well call the week in Florida. Oh no, not because Florida at least again. three of these stories are from Florida. Oh my God! I'll start with the first Florida. story. This is the story of a student named Xander Moritz. Oh, I heard about this kid. He is the youngest plaintiff in a lawsuit challenging the state's controversial don't say legal, uh, don't say gay law. And he went on Twitter and he said that the officials at the Pine View School in Osprey are threatening to silence him if he discusses LGBTQ rights during his graduation ceremony. And he's graduating as what? Why is he giving this speech? Because he is the valedictorian. Go ahead. He wrote, a few days ago, my principal called me into his office and informed me that if my graduation speech referenced my activism or role as a plaintiff in the lawsuit, school administration had a signal to cut off my microphone, end my speech, and halt the ceremony. When administration discovered that I was organizing a Say Gay walkout, they had all our posters ripped from the walls and told me to shut down the protest. They said they would send school, they said they would send school security if I did, if I did not listen. The walk-up ended up being the uh, the county, Sarasota County's largest demonstration against the legislation. <laughs> so this, yeah, he went ahead anyway. This kid is now helping the a group called the Social Equity and Education Init- Initiative to distribute to distribute ten thousand say gay stickers for seniors to wear on their graduation robes. So more power to this kid. I'll tell you, uh, uh, Alexander. His name is. Xander Moritz. Xander Moritz. Yes, you can follow him on Twitter, actually. That's why I'm following him now. That's why I learned about most of this. Yeah, I saw this a couple of days ago, I think. He, he's going to give that speech. He's going to force them to shut him down publicly. If I, and that's exactly what he should do. If I were him, I'd go up there with tape over my mouth, open my robe up, and have a sh- on his T-shirt, silence equals death. But You know? Yeah, yeah, and that would be a nice... Fuck you to his principal and happy graduation. I, th- I I think he should, in respect of the occasion and the honor bestowed upon him by being, you know, the the leader of the the, the valedictorian of the class, and to take this esteemed position and to begin a speech and then make 
the building first, the principal, uh, the district, the silence him. Yes. Publicly, in a graduation, make them silence him. He just might. I I guess we'll we'll find out soon enough. (laughs) If they were smart enough, they would let him him do that speech. Just let him do the speech. I know. Just let him do it. It, it, He's not going to change any minds. If he does, that'd be nice. Let him him do it. Right? Go ahead. Now let's move on to our next Florida story. This takes place at Lyman High School. It seems that yearbooks were supposed to be distributed this past Monday. But however, the school was unhappy when they saw that there were images of students holding rainbow flags and a love sign while protesting the state's don't say gay law. They figured out the rainbow flag means pro-gay. Yeah, I guess so. So they said that they were withholding them and that they were going to put stickers over those photographs. Accompanying the captions on the photos included quotes from students sharing their views on the legislation and why they participated in the protest. The principal, Michael Hunter, said in a statement Monday that pictures and descriptions documenting a student walkout in March in response to Florida's parental rights and education law should have been caught earlier in the review process. Rather than reprinting the yearbook at substantial cost and delay, we have elected to cover that material that is out of compliance with board policy so that yearbooks can be distributed as soon as possible. So would they, like, redact it? Like- they want to redact it because they're afraid that having the photos in the yearbook is going to be interpreted as an endorsement of the protest by the school itself. That's their whole big beef about it. All right. I can understand that. Well, anyway, because of the public outcry about it, the school board met on Tuesday, this past Tuesday night, and they voted in 5-0 to reverse the decision. They're not going to place photos, stickers over the photos. They're going to place a sticker on the page explaining that this was a student-led protest and not endorsed by the school. Well done. Eh, Well done. Also cheaper. Well, yeah. Okay. We're not saying anybody was wrong here. We just, we didn't say this was, this was not not our I'm not impressed. Uh, I am. I'm not. I'll tell you what, it, uh, I, they gave a little, and it's it's not, you, at this point, and where we are in the fight, we got to take itty bitty little steps forward, and that's itty bitty little step forward. Well, I look at it this way, right now, it seems like high school students right now are at the forefront of fighting for queer equality at this point, you know? Absolutely. Because they're, they're in the battle lines right now. Absolutely, you know, are. And it'll be college kids next, so get ready, bitches. Yeah, right. The kids like who are in like junior high, high, they ain't never gonna stop fighting because it's gonna take forever to do this. Yeah, if there's the will. Right now, we'll see. We'll be dead. <laughs> Let's hope not. Well, anyway, for our next Florida story, a congressional map approved by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and drawn up by his staff, was declared unconstitutional by a state judge because it broke up a district where black voters can choose their representatives. The district in question was represented by a Democrat, and almost half the population was was black. DeSantis' map would have split up the district between four other districts, thereby diluting the voting power of the black community. So now the judge is either going to choose one of two other maps that the legislature had originally proposed, and that DeSantis had said no to. But anyway, they're going to appeal the decision anyway, and go to the state Supreme Court, which is a bit more conservative. So, I would hold my breath on this one. It's crazy. Yep, but this is Florida. Florida is is really gone downhill, man. It really just keeps getting worse. I mean, this guy has... He has his own secret election police, for God's sake. He has his election police. It's like, what the fuck is that? 
How do you make people see something that they don't want to see? I know. I know. I, I don't. I wish I knew. I really did. Because I find it hard to believe that most people are like that. Although I am absolutely prepared to believe that one third of us are just by the law of large numbers. Like one third of us are just douchebags. Yeah. As humans. Yep. And right now they're, they're loud and playing with power. Yeah. Very. And I'm really getting tired of waiting for Democrats to stand up and start fighting back, I'll tell you. You got some... What, is there another option for you to support? <sighs> Hello, Ireland. <laughs> yeah. You know? Immigration is looking... I'm a miss you, girl! <laughs> <laughs> Give me some time yet. Wait until the 2024 election happens. But anyway, we now move on to our next segment, which is... We like to watch. What are we watching? Uh, I had something. What did you have? What did you watch? The Pentagonist. No, the, the Pentaveret. The Pentaveret. That's with Mike Myers, right? Yes. And how was it? Canadian. <laughs> okay, what does that mean? Heavily Canadian humor, which is very funny. Yes, yes it is. But it's actually, this show made it evident that it was a separate comedy style. Okay. The taste, what they make fun of, the way they make fun of it, uh, is very, the way they make fun of being Canadian, the way they make fun of Canadian things. Okay. The the words, the accents, and, and whatever, and just the way, it's Canadian. <laughs> would you would you recommend it to an American audience? I would. Okay. I absolutely would. All right. Good to know. Yes. Okay. Good to know. That, that was that was your new thing that you watched this week. Uh, uh, among among maybe something else, I can't remember. Okay. okay. Well, on TV, the only new thing I watched was Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. Oh, you're gonna keep <laughs> poking this bear. Because I know how much you love science fiction. It's just gonna keep poking the bear. <laughs> One day. Well, anyway, Star Trek Strange New Worlds is a story of Captain Christopher Pike, who, if you know your Star Trek history, was the captain of the USS Enterprise prior to Captain James T. Kirk. So now we are here seeing his tales being done. I can tell you're so enthused and are interested. Just, I'm sorry, I, I realize what I'm expected to do here, which is to, <laughs> to ask questions and be encouraging. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. So is this a prequel? I wouldn't say it's prequel. It's like in the middle of everything, you know, because there there have been so many Star Trek series now. Okay, so this is Kirk. Let's start with Kirk. Right, Kirk's like a low officer at this point. He's just like an ensign or whatever. No, 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 no. I'm talking the history of Star Trek. Yes. Okay, to a novice. Okay. Talk to me. Well, Captain Kirk, that was the original series. Talk to me like I'm five and not you. (laughs) I thought I'd do that now. (laughs) Captain Kirk. Yes. Is the first captain. Yes. This guy now, Captain... Pike. He was the captain of the Enterprise before before Captain Captain Kirk. Kirk. So here's the question. Yes. We're following the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. It's all about the ship. Yes. Do we ever come to the Captain... After Kirk? Well, we 80 years later we do, and that's in Star Trek Next Generation. Next Generation, which that's is... Jean-Luc Picard. And this is many, many that's years That's 80 later, years after, after the, the events of Star Trek, the original series. Okay, so we leave Star Trek, the original series, with Kirk as the captain. Yes. And when Star Trek needs more money, they go 80 years ahead, <laughs> and they put John Luke Pickett, I love him... <laughs> 
This is the truth. I did watch some of this series. Okay, Next Generation. Next Generation. So what happens now? Where are we going now? Well, there are a couple of series. I mean, it's not just this series. There's also Star Trek Discovery, which started in the same time period as this new series, but the ship now transported like 200 years or so, like a thousand years into the future. Oh. And it's now way ahead now in the future. Okay. And following its old storyline there. And how's that show doing? That's good, too. I like to enjoy that storyline. Really? Yeah. I'm a Trekkie. I'm biased, you know? As opposed to Warries. As supposed to what? Warries. Warries? Trekkies and Warries? I mean Star Wars fans. Right. What are they called? <laughs> I don't know. Are you not one of them? I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a fanatic. I'm, it's really only the first three movies that I like because the prequels and the sequel movies sucked. Okay, so let's go back. Okay. Bring me out of this hell. We're going to bring you out of this hell. I'm I'm talking about Star Trek now. Good. But it's a good series. It's promising. I recommend it. The new Spock has a very sexy neck. That was exhausting. (laughs) But I also saw some theater this weekend. Oh, theater? Yes. What theater did you happen to see? I went to the Hard Scrabble Theater right here in the village of Farmingdale. Okay. And I saw a production of God of Carnage. Oh. Have you ever seen God of Carnage? I have not. Okay. This was my first time seeing the play. I had read it, but I had never seen it. Okay. And I enjoyed it. It was actually a good production. Excellent. Who uh, is Hard Scrabble Theater? What's that? Who is Hard Scrabble Theater? Well, it's a group of theater people. They operate out of St. Thomas Episcopal Church in the village of Farmingdale. Okay, so you can stop talking to me like I'm five now. <laughs> I was working at six. Do you know the person's name? Who's who? Who's the people who... I can tell you that because I have a program I, I right here with me. I don't know who they are. Who uh, are they? Let's see. I can tell you who the production team was. Uh, that would be a very... Good place. To the director. Start. The director of the show was Catherine Becker. Okay. The producer was John Pasadino. Okay. The stage manager was Virginia Green and Kim Keen. Okay. Um, Is there any biographical information about the company itself? Founders, board of directors. No, there's nothing here in the program about that. Okay. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yes, I know that is unfortunate. Hard Scrabble Theater, but, but yes. you, you like the show? Yes, I did. What's the venue? I just said what the venue is. It's the Hard Scrabble Theater. It's located at the St. Thomas Episcopal Church. St. Thomas Episcopal Church. That was my question. I was trying to push the company, but here you were acting like that. <laughs> anyway, it's a play about two two pairs of parents who get together to discuss their uh, two sons who have had a fight at school. And before you know it, the parents degenerate into childlike behavior themselves. Okay. Yeah. It sounds ultra relatable. <laughs> yes, it is. As it- parents descend in defense of their children. Yep. As just a spark, really, because what happens in that, it goes way beyond the children. Usually does. Usually does. Anyway, the cast included Lisa uh, Meeks. I love Lisa. Tom Tom Chorchari. I never know how to pronounce his last name. I I don't know either. Ryan Romeo and Nancy Walsh. Okay. And yeah, it was an entertaining evening. really was. Good for you. Good for them. Good for the nameless production. 
company. No, the production company, Hard Scrabble Theater. Hard Scrabble Theater. I want to know who they are. Who, uh, who, 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 who you know, okay. is it Patrick Finn and Stephen, Stephen Prendergast? No, it's not us. Hard Scrabble Theater? Who are they? Who's Hard Scrabble? I'll find out for you next episode. Let me know. I will. Also, on Sunday. It's so, it's so rare to find something that you say that I'm interested in. I know. That I think it deserves you doing the research. Uh, I'll see what I can do. Uh, well, you could hire a fucking intern. But you, go ahead. You know, we talked about the last show we talked about, which was Torch Song. You didn't ask it about all the production staff or anything like that. I had... Well, that's true. Yeah, thank that's, you. That's true. I rest my case. Okay. You're a witness. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're right, which is all you ever wanted. <laughs> So congratulations on that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Right. I'm not even. I'm not even gonna. I'm not. I'm not. Okay then. Oh, then we'll move on to well, not move to the next segment. To but to uh, the final thing I did this weekend was I participated in a reading of a new play. What play was that? It was titled These Gilded Souls. It was written by a young lady named Ali Cantor. Okay. It was an adaptation of The Great Gatsby okay. by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Okay. And I read the part of George Wilson, who's the mechanic whose wife is screwing around with one of the other characters in the, in the story. They get hit by the car. Yeah. And then he ends up, well, I don't want to say all the rest of it. But anyway. I no, was, why? Because it's a, it's a hundred year old book and it might be be a surprise it might be to some to people out there that may be believe me there are many system. people out there who Without have not read the great Gatsby. <laughs> that's right so there anyway i think it's one of the great american novels and actually i hate it i know you do i hate the great gatsby i know you. Do. i don't like any of the characters in it it doesn't matter daisy's at the top of my list i hate her most of all but yeah i don't like it but this Staged reading this play okay. was actually very good, I thought. Now, are the same characters from Gatsby involved in this play? Yes. It's all the same characters. It, uh, uh, put me in uh, time. After the events of The Great Gatsby, before the events of The Great Gatsby? Both. It's okay. told all from Nick's advan- vantage point. So you get the after the story narration by him. Because is that then the story itself? The Great Gatsby is narrated by Nick. It's right. Nick's story. Yes, and he's all narrating it in the play. So he's narrating the next. The, the, in this play, he's also the narrator. Right. Okay. Exactly. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. And he goes before and after. The, yes. The, okay. Yeah. Okay. We have a stop in at the, the events of. What do you mean? Like, do we have a stop into the Great Gatsby for real? Oh yeah, no, it goes into the book itself and everything. Okay. Yeah, no, it definitely covers the book really well. I did. Um, this and it is... moved. The play moved well. You know, it didn't like stumble or anything like that. Right, that's so important. Yeah. When I was, when you were able to have high school productions, you know, back in the day, right? I had done a few for Lindbrook High School. Okay. One of them was this stage adaptation of The Great Gatsby, which is... Yes, I saw that. Uh, did you? Okay. Yeah, I saw yeah, that production. You created the musical soundtrack. Yes, I did. Production. Okay, so yes. And I enjoyed that thoroughly. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed every bit of that. I don't know. It seems to me that it translates well onto a stage. And it did. And what I liked about this, I mean, 
it wasn't stagey. The scenes fade into each other, you okay. know? That's why I, I liked a lot about it. Yeah. What else did you do? You went to the theater? That was pretty... That was it. I mean, I saw, yeah, I saw a show and was in a, a stage reading. Did you walk there? So how did... How, what was the success feel of the stage reading? Everyone was generally positive reviews about it. And also, I think they're looking for a director for it as well. Because it's going to be done over East Line. East Line Theater. Okay. Yeah. So, so, okay, so East Line sponsored the reading of this in hopes of producing it. Yes, all right, excellent. Or yeah. in the and they opened it up to people who may be interested in directing it, you know, to come down and stuff. It. And it was good. It was a good size audience. Excellent. Yeah, I've never done a. St- I, I like the idea of the readings. That I always do a read through, no matter what the show is. Yeah, because most of those bitches ain't gonna bother reading the script again. I know they'll just read their lines their and that's parts, it. And, and so, so important to me, you read the whole damn play. You need to know the fucking story. Yep, exactly, okay. exactly. No matter what your part in it is, right? You need to know the story. Yeah. Or you can't do your part. Exactly. Go ahead. We now move on to our next segment, which is... Uh, people saying stupid things. People saying stupid things. So important, we say it twice. Yep. And this is more of a person doing a stupid thing. Stupid things. It doesn't matter saying, doing, acting, thinking. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, you know, one of the insurrectionist traitor fucks. Are we going to talk about the hot guy in the wheelchair caught in the gay sex scandal with the videotapes? Madison Cawthorn? Are we going to talk about him? We can talk about him next, but let's get through this story first. I'm just thinking. Okay. Anyway, he's introduced a bill that would limit new copyright protections to 56 years, a change he said that would be, quote, retroactive for the big entertainment companies like Woke Disney. Disney first received 56 years of copyright protection from Mickey Mouse, but pushed for Congress to pass new copyright laws in the 70s and 90s, under which the character will not become public domain until 2024. But Hawley says he wants to crack down on copyright monopolies to ensure they only last long enough to encourage innovation. First of all, the bill is not expected to pass the Senate. It's just a blatant election gimmick. That's all it is. It's anti-Disney, specifically. But it's retaliatory legislation aimed right. at Disney. Which is how, when going back to what we was talking about That's before, fascism. That's what we're talking about here, you yeah. know? So that, and it also answers my question from before. What happens when the corporations start to defend the people... Because they are the consumers and the very lifeblood of the corporations, you just answered it. Yeah, they're going to force the corporations' hands at this rate. Uh, you know what? I I think it's the money is the thing. Who's got the money? The right. Power is it worth Disney giving up what has been a dedicated fan base and the gays and their children? Yep. And the and the people as a whole, is it worth for them to give that up? In the name of tax breaks in Florida? First of all, they're not going to lose their tax ass in Florida. That's not going to happen. It's going to cost. It's going to cost Florida a billion dollars or more to get them out. You know what's? You know why it's not going to happen? Well, I understand the whole thing about the about the separate town name and the. Well, what it is, there are two like communities or two towns in this district of like 2,000 people. They have to vote on this. They're not going to vote to change this. Yeah, no. That's true. I didn't know that, and that's true. Anybody who's living in the benefit of Disney in Florida, that deal is sweet yeah. for, for Florida, man. It's another election gimmick. On the, it's on it's the not going to happen. It's Disney saying, look, we're going to take care of this shit. Just give us the pass. And Florida's saying, all right, we'll give you the pass. And it so far has worked out for all involved. But I can think of probably a half a dozen states that are saying, hey, Disney... <laughs> 
If it doesn't work out in Florida, come to us. Florida, you know, Florida is the perfect spot for that. Of course it is. It's a vacation round. spot. It's year round. So where could it go? Another southern state. Where's Austin? Is all what's on the coast? Austin's in Texas. Texas. But what is it on the coast? I don't know. I'm not familiar with Texas. The coast geography. of Texas would probably be climactically, or as far as the climate goes. There's Georgia. There's Alabama. There's the Carolinas. Is the water not a thing there? Uh, I like to make the, the the real vacation spot. Can you go to Disneyland and just spend a whole week on the beach? I don't know. I, I, I haven't been to Disney World in 30, 40 years. I don't know. Because if it's like, it must be Tampa. What the fuck is Tampa? Is it Tampa? Is what Tampa? Where is Florida? Where, where is Disney? Orlando. Orlando. Not Tampa. Right. So is Orlando a coastal town? And the coastal town helps make it a vacation spot. Right. So the pressure is kind of off of Disney to be the attraction. Right. Disney ain't going anywhere. Mark no, my words. No. It ain't going anywhere. No, it's just uh, so, uh, there's going to be a And the same thing with this bullshit bill, because this bill, if it changed the copyright law to strip Disney of the copyright to Mickey Mouse, it would only lose the copyright to the image of Mickey Mouse that came out in 1928, which is from Steamboat Willie. Right. And you remember what Mickey Mouse looked like then. He didn't look like a gutter rat. Yeah. He doesn't look like what he looks like now. Right. Smile so it's a hollow victory if you ever got this fucking law passed, especially when the copyright on it expires in 2024. So it's just like, shut the fuck up, you fucking fascist asshole. Anything that I I, I don't know any anything that's still making if Disney uh, anything that's still that prominent, I think should be given those extensions. Disney is still a prominent producer of product and and it's gen- a huge mega corporation generates now. income and for years and years and years it has been identified by this stupid mouse ears hat and maybe in 200 years when everybody will say what the fuck is that hat <laughs> then you say you know why it's time for disney to lose its well, I don't think it'll still be around in 200 years, so... Don't you don't know. think so? No. It's persuasive. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if anything's going to be around in no, 200 yeah. years. At the rate we're going. But anyway, that wraps up people saying stupid things. We now move on to five faves. Oh, I'm not prepared. Not I'm prepared. Only kind of, I'm only kind of prepared, but I'm not really prepared. Well, in honor of this being Jewish American Heritage Month, and also today's idea left off on the birthday list, it's also cog comic Phil Silver's birthday. Is it really? Yes, it is. Oh, Phil Silver's would have been worth mentioning in my my five phase. Well, he may yet. (laughs) Anyway, so our topic for our five phase today is our five favorite Jewish stand-up comedians. I have three right off the bat. Okay, let's hear one of them. Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce is at the top of my list also. The father of modern stand-up comedy. Yes. Without a doubt. Yeah. You know? Okay. Uh, Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers is second on my list. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, as, as far as... Oh, that's just my doorbell camera. We have a... It rings on my phone when... Something goes by the front door. That was magical. <laughs> it's like little wind chimes, It really right? is. It was, it, yeah, it was magical. I forgot where we were. Well, oh, Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason, really? Ja- for that for that whole traditional borscht belt sort okay. of uh, cow. Yes, I remember, I remember him saying some things back in like the 90s or 2000s that really kind of ticked me off, yeah. We were talking about stand-up comics. Right? I know. So... 
it's it's not you know we're not the five favorite and he sucked in Caddyshack too who had stand-up comedy careers <laughs> I remember him doing a joke about being Jewish on the ski slopes with people named Sven and <laughs> how intimidating it was and it made me laugh a lot so I'm gonna go with him okay my third choice the late Gilbert Gottfried. Okay. I love Gilbert. I know that everyone didn't like him because it was a uh, voice, but I thought he was funny as shit. He uh, was just, oh my God, he was great. I understand his talent. I understand the appeal okay. of his talent. Okay. I understand that there are some comics who, who make you want to do drugs. <laughs> yes. Okay. He was one of the comics who made me want to do drugs. <laughs> But the drug he he inspired was Xanax. <laughs> because, although very funny, <coughs> he always stressed me the fuck out. And I needed Xanax. Okay. But I appreciated him Good. if I had the Xanax. Okay. He was very funny. That yes, whole, he was. That whole thing, that whole character is just incredibly And funny. I said, we talked about, I think, a couple of episodes ago, about him doing the scene in the, doing that joke, The Aristocrats. Right, right. We talked about that, which is classic. Which I still haven't seen. You still haven't seen it? You didn't post the yes, link. Yes, I did post it. You're a liar. I posted it. I need a fourth Jew. <laughs> yes, you do. Who is your fourth Jewish stand-up I don't, I don't have, I don't, I didn't, I didn't do my homework. Oh my God. Give me a couple. Jesus. Okay, can I say Mel Brooks? Was he a comedian? Okay, so let me ask you a question. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess he was. He had the comedy routine with Carl Reiner. The 2,000-year-old so. man. Yeah, so I guess he would qualify as a comedian. Mel Brooks. Okay, Mel Brooks. That's then. number four. Okay, all, all right. right. I'll let you scrape by with that Wish one. Swimming, <laughs> it's a triple. <laughs> Is that a baseball thing? That's baseball. Yes, that's Sweet, baseball. triple. Yep. Okay. <laughs> triple means third base. Anyway, my fourth choice, the king of insult comedy. Oh, my God. What's Don, Rickles. Don Rickles. Had to go with Don Rickles. Yeah, he was brutal. He was brutal, and he, he was, was funny God. as hell. Oh, my God. God. And a decent actor. He was in uh, Casino. He played a character? Yeah. He didn't play Don Nichols? No. Don Rickles? Don Rickles? No. He Don... did not play himself. Don, okay. <laughs> he was an actor. I didn't realize he was an actor, Don Rickles. But there's a very funny outtake of that, of him in the movie, uh, Busting on De Niro. Oh, God. <laughs> it's very, you should look for it. I'll try to find it and post That's it on the blog. Worth, that would be worth it. It's very, very funny. De Niro's in a position where he can't help the only proper <laughs> response for him. Yeah, there's no response, right? Yeah, there's no wow. response. And there's so much. <laughs> and Don Rickles is so Brutal. Right? Rickles? Right. Nickels? Rickles! Rickles. Jesus Christ. They're waves in their potato chips. Anyway, who's your fifth choice? Uh, my fifth favorite Jewish stand-up comedian. Yes. Uh, Mrs. Maisel. She's fictional. I, I'm i sorry, was there a distinction? <laughs> Can we go back to the rules, please? <laughs> we were aiming for real ones. There are enough real Jewish stand-up comedians for you to choose from. Okay. This is part of Jewish American Heritage Month. Okay. Forgive my lack of Jewishness <laughs> in in thinking this through. I didn't I didn't tap that far deep. 
Can I do somebody like Rita Rudner? Is she Jewish? I don't know. Should we look her up? There's a couple of people. I don't know if they're Jewish. I mean, I know that Eddie Murphy's probably not Jewish. I know that, um, <laughs> uh, what's the other guy from the 80s? He's not Jewish. The black guy from the 80s. Uh, I was never really a fan of Rod, Rodney Dangerfield, who at least just sounded Jewish. Uh, I like Billy Crystal. Does Billy Crystal count? Yes, Billy Crystal counts. I'm going to go with Billy Crystal. You're going to go with Billy Crystal? I fucking love Billy Crystal. You go with Billy Crystal. Then. All right, I'm proud of that. Okay. And I found that on myself. That's, I know, I'm surprised. I worked my way there. That whole train of thought you weren't on. Welcome to my my mind, on that bitches. mountain pass. It's like, a dark, it's getting rickety scary there. place. You don't want to be there without a guy. <laughs> anyway, my fifth and final choice for a favorite Jewish stand-up comedian... Lewis Black. Oh. Love Lewis Black. Oh, my God. His commentaries on The Daily Show. Oh, my God. Fucking brilliant. Yeah. Just brilliant. Yeah. Great comedian. I watch his stand-up routines whenever I see clips of them on YouTube. Why is he not the new George Carlin? Why is he not... I know, right? Why is he not the guy who, like, the liberals look to and say... Not even the liberals. Just not even the liberals. people yeah. who, who say... That's the thing. He's just like... He's just like Use your common sense, you know? That was George Carlin to me, because although he had plenty to say about everybody, you never really knew. I don't know. He had this... Carlin to me was different, because Carlin was a master of using language and turning it on society. Exactly. You know? That was his... That, yes, that was made his it a, goal, He made it a mirror to society. I mean, him, Bruce, and Pryor, those are like... The, Richard Pryor, that was the black guy. Those, those are the holy trinity to me of stand-up comedy. Based on... Their word, use of on words, what they on what they push on what they push stand up comedy to be into. Yep. Well, that's all Lenny Bruce. That's, yeah, that's he all started it. He started it, and then yeah. Pryor took it from a whole black perspective and ran with it. Yeah. And well, Carlin was just the the radical hippie comedian, you know, with so much common sense, and then such a way like to say it. He knew how to speak. He knew what words to use yep. when he was trying to make something clear. Yeah. And then he knew how to make those words funny. And a lot of it was delivery. Of course. Because like he would say something and you would immediately understand, oh, that should have been obvious. Like, it's not obvious. Like, he, he was able to put so much of that across just by his face. I'm going to post... They have early routines of his before he became the George Carlin we know. There was the, where he appeared on TV, the last and couple it's of books. so different from what he later became. Yeah, the last couple of books seem more like Angry George. Mm. I'm a big George. I, I try to find the clips where he's like strung out on cocaine because <laughs> he had a bad problem for a while. Well, there's plenty of. <laughs> you know, you want to look for the, the seven dirty words. Of course, that's classic. Uh, stuff you take on vacation. That's a great episode. Um, your stuff. You're taking your stuff. Yeah, there's plenty. There's so much. All yeah. of it is worth looking at. It's good just to see a sense of how he used language. Yeah. And he was the strangest looking fellow. He was this little elfin thing. I love George Carlin. Me Go too, ahead. man. That concludes this segment of Five Faves. That was painless. We now move on to our final segment of the evening, the Grumpy Old Gay Men Gripe of the Week. I really don't know. I'm not prepared for this, but I could just pick a basic gripe, I guess. Oh, okay. And I've done this one probably multiple times in the past two months because... Holy shit. But what's the fucking weather gonna do? 
What do you mean? Like, it was raining, cold, and horrible, windy the, over the weekend. Horrible weekend. Horrible. And then this week, like, like today, we had, today we had 72 degree weather. I, I wore my winter coat, okay? I wore my winter coat. It's May. It's May. After Mother's Day. The fuck is going on? Well, like, April became like March weather. It was like wind and rain all during April. It's like, this is usually what we get in March, but we had that all in April. And now it's something that carry over into May, but like, this week has been like... 67, 68, and if that's 72 be today. Like, like, like if it's summertime for longer on the other end, then maybe it's not such a big deal. But at this point, if we're going to match the time stretch, right. we're going into fucking Halloween. Are we going to do Halloween on the beach next? I know, right? The way this weather is going. I'm sorry. It's just, also, it makes me not feel good when it goes back and forth. Yes, it does. Your body has to adjust to it. I don't. I I don't feel good. No, I know. I know exactly what you mean. So uh, that's my gripe. It's just enough already. Just get hot and disgusting, and I can. Li- I, I have the skills to deal with hot and disgusting the same way I have to deal with cold and disgusting. Just get there already. Stop bouncing back and forth. You don't have to make me sick to make me miserable. So that's my gripe. Well, that's a good gripe. Fuck you. <laughs> Who were you grappling against? Mother Nature? That was your gripe. Fuck you, Mother Nature. And you. Go ahead. How are you? My gripe is that I could not get tickets for the farewell tour of the B 52s. You know, you said you wanted to go to that. Yes, I did. And then I saw the prices of the tickets. Okay, tell me. Because it was going to be at. Uh, it was, they were playing two shows in Manhattan. I forget uh, what theater it was at. Oh, uh, it was at the. Beacon Theater. The Beacon, the Beacon Theater. Right. Tickets became available. I went to go look at the prices right away. The nosebleed section was $175. To get anywhere closer to four was over $400. I was like, no, it ain't, ain't going to happen. That's it's not going to happen. It, for the B-52s, first of all, it's not all of them. No, it's only three. Keith Strickland is no longer touring with the band. I don't understand the dynamics behind that. Okay. But, uh, if... They had existed as the B-52s without him previous to this concert? No. Well, no, this is only this, he's played with them except for this tour. Okay. So is it really the B-52s? Well, yeah. I mean, well, if you really want to go back, I mean, they originally had a guitar player, Ricky Wilson, who died of AIDS back in 84, 85. Okay. So you could argue back then, well, are they still the B-52s? Well, because yeah, now they, they have were. a new guitar player. Well, actually, Keith Strickland was the drummer. He took over on guitar then. They had to put somebody else in there. They put someone else on drums. So the drummer didn't matter. It was the singers and the guitarists. Yeah. What about the bass player? They really didn't have a bass player. Okay. Yeah, they always well, they had, had a bass Well, they player. had a bass player, but not a member of the band. Okay, okay. The band was originally the, the six of them. And then, it, uh, four, I'm sorry, five of them. And then came down the four. And down the current tour, it's the, just the three singers, basically. All right. So it's sort of like... The stalagmite ice thing, the icicle that hangs from your roof. Yes. As it drips, drips, drips into nothingness as the spring comes. But that doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't. So, yeah, so um, sadly, I will not be seeing the B 52. All right, well, you know what? I didn't see them on their last tour around here in New York. They played at the Paramount Theater in Huntington. The fact that and they you, were great. They the were fact fantastic. That you ever got to see the B 52s and enjoyed it and let that. I've seen them so many times. It's, yeah. Sometimes I think to myself, like, because I, I haven't been to a Broadway show in years now. Me too. And I, I'm thinking, 
Who have, like, who are the people I've seen on Broadway? And Audra, because I'm a psychopath. And Sutton, because I'm a psychopath. And yep. there are these people, John Gallagher Jr. I'll go see anything. But then we saw people like Walken. A lot of this is on Sonny, too. Sonny who? Sonny, the cute Hispanic with... Oh, Yes. Sonny who? Okay. So it's his fault. Walking. We saw Christopher Walking. I know. We saw him in Behanding in Spokane. What's the other one? Mark Rylance. Yes, we saw him in Jerusalem. I saw him in La Bette, too. Oh, wow. That was... Mark Rylance's entrance was a 20-minute monologue he did sitting on the toilet. (laughs) And it was brilliant. I'm sure. Yeah, the people who I uh, who I have seen is just yeah. But ticket prices, if this was the range of tickets for concerts, is going to be now. I'm not going to be doing too many concerts anymore. I'll tell you that. I can't see Hugh Jackman in in the Music Man. Although I almost got arrested when I saw him in Man from Oz. I'm, I, I, why they didn't take me out of there, dragging and <laughs> you know backwards screaming. The only show I want to see right now on Broadway is uh, A Strange Loop. I, I'm very interested in that as well. Yeah, the more I read about, it, and I, I actually I found the Off Broadway cast recording. I, I'm going to download that. I'd love to see Company. I'd love to see Six. Yeah, I six would love, love to see Sutton Foster as Marion the Librarian. Hello. You know, right? I would love that. Uh, you know, I'd love to. I'd love to see Funny Girl. Funny Girl. If you go back to last week and we talk about the divas that little gay boys are given, and yeah. okay, so mine was Barbara Streisand, and it had. Uh, Funny Girl was a huge, huge part of that. Yes, yes it was. The movie was a huge part of that. I know. I would, I would love to go see some of this stuff. I know, but... Can't do it too expensive? Yeah, it's a shame. It's too just too expensive. damn expensive right now. I gotta be very... We're actually going to go see an off-Broadway play, The Irish Rep Theater. It's a one-woman play, Reflections of Molly Bloom. Okay, never heard of it, though, it's, no. it's an adaptation of the final chapter from Ulysses. Oh, of course it is. Of yeah, course, of course it, is. it is. And yeah. we're actually seeing it on Bloomsday. Yeah, everybody knows that. Oh, and on Bloomsday. On yeah, Bloomsday. Yeah, and I think it must have cost extra, because <laughs> everybody knows Bloomsday is when you see Bloom. Yes. Tickets were reasonably priced. $50. Okay. I'll spend $50. Right? I, I love that. I, I cannot spend $300. I know. I can't. It's, no, it's it's insane. I can't do that. No, 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 no. Not if I want to get to work and do things. No, yeah. I, I can't. Right? I can't. Not if I want to keep my house. Eat. <laughs> yeah, eat. That too. It's too crazy. Yeah. So, anyway, we now come to the conclusion of this week's episode. Okay, well, it was final segment and then conclusion. I'm yes. trying to get the alcohol. We're at the now. This is the grand finale we're at now. This is the pinnacle. Yes. Any, okay. any plans for the upcoming weekend? I am... Working. Okay. Uh, like usual. Okay. I have no plans for anything exciting or interesting to happen. What show are you working at this weekend? Well, there's a thing because Grumpy Old Men is open and playing. That's at, the musical. That's Grumpy Old Men the musical, yep. which has is being given now like its regional New York sort of region debut at Bayway. Um, nobody's seen it before. It's been at a couple of different places. It, yeah. It's pretty much an out-of-town tryout. They're looking... The guy who wrote the music was there, and and so that's playing this weekend. Okay. And I meant to be there this weekend as part of the regular schedule, but at Manus over there in Lindenhurst, the Studio Theater in Lindenhurst. Yes, yes. but it's, but mm. here's the thing now, because here's the new lingo: they're both Studio Theater. Yes, so you have to differentiate by the building. Oh yes, the Manus Studio. The Manus, theater. the Manus. We just call it the Manus. Okay. Okay. So the Manus. <laughs> 
has a, I want to say, Led Zeppelin cover band. Okay. On Sunday. Wow. Which has sold the place out. Wow. And they they want an extended menu. They want, like, sandwiches and that kind of stuff. Oh, my God. So that's why I was so late today, because it was all of that extra planning to do the okay. shopping for the week. And Sunday, so Sunday I will be at the Madness for the, did I say Led Zeppelin? Yes, the Led Zeppelin cover band. What else could it be? If it's not, because I don't want these people rushing down to see it. Yes. And it be like Pink Floyd I, instead of Led Zeppelin. You know what I mean? Like, Tell them to check their newspaper listings. Yeah. Or online. Check your newspaper listings or online. <laughs> Studiotheater.com. Uh, um, I guess, yeah, May 15th over there at Madison. There's a cool. tribute band, Led Zeppelin. Excellent. Okay. Or Pink Floyd. Or Pink Floyd. Or Moby Grape. Or Moby Grape. It could be Moby Grape. No, it seems... Well, the like, electric prunes. No, it was more like... It's, it's definitely more of that acid rock sort of... These people are either going to sleep... First of all, they're going to drink me out of beer. I know they're going to drink me out of beer. Because the refrigerator is only so big. I can only have five cases of beer in the refrigerator. So they're going to drink me out of beer. Uh, so that's my weekend. Okay. Well, we're going to the theater this weekend, but not the theater you're going to be working at. What, what theater are you going to see? I'm not sure. I'm not sure the name of the show. A friend of mine is directing it. It's somewhere on the South Shore. I think it's in, might be in a church. It's a comedy. I can't think of the name of it for the life of me. Wow. But that's what we're doing this weekend. That sounds thrilling. Yes, right that and working in my garden. You're going to some random theater in some random place. To well, see I have some to look up all the play. information. Uh, I know. Uh, I, I know where to by look your for friend, it. some random guy. I know my friend is who's directing it. Okay, what's his name? Peter Goyke. Peter Gorky. Peter Gorky. So Peter Gorky is directing a play. So, so Peter Gorky is directing some play. Yes, my some, friend Liz Zimmerman is in the play somewhere. Yes, on the south shore of Long Island. Yes, at some time <laughs> this weekend. This weekend. Yes, and you're going. Yes. Are you sure? Yes, I am. All right. Tell Peter hi. I certainly will. We we had that night together. The the night of the failed birthday party. The night of the failed birthday party. Oh, honey, you were there. I was. It was your fault. It was my fault? You had invited a bunch of us to go out for Stephen's birthday at this restaurant in Farmingdale, and it was raining. And when we all got to the parking lot and got the municipal parking and got out of the municipal parking and met in front of the restaurant, you discovered that the restaurant had closed down. Not was closed for the evening, but closed, but closed down. down. So we, in the rain, most of us gay, except Peter Gorky. Okay. Up and down the main drag of Farmingdale, looking for a place to eat, and we ended up down on, I want to say, Wellwood Avenue, there, your uh, Australian steakhouse. Okay. Out back. Okay. <laughs> and John picked up the I remember that. And John now. picked up the tab. Yes. I remember that night. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's all coming back to me. Yeah, it, it does that. Like Sometimes in trinkles, sometimes like a fucking tidal wave. Oh, my God. Anyway, this is the end of our podcast for tonight. We want to thank you all for listening. Of course, you can find all of our episodes on our website, www.grumpyoldgaymenandtheirdogs.com. And also don't forget to look for all our bonus material, where we post videos and links to all the stuff that we talked about. And of course, follow us daily on Facebook and Twitter. What, anything else I need to add? 
Bitch, I, I don't know. You just go on. I hear a cue. I say my line. Oh, and I have to thank my producer and husband, Stephen Prendergast, for that. everything he does, including the cake and cookies that he brought in Which for were us. wonderful tonight. Yes, they were. I didn't even bring cookies. I know. You're, you're a, a terrible, terrible co-host. I'm, terrible co-host. I'm a terrible guest. On the other hand, I don't have an email address. <laughs> so am I really a co-host or am I just sort of somebody for you to bounce things off of yes good <laughs> and on that note we're going to say have a good night have a good week have a good life and we'll see you next time bye bitches about it is appealing